Welcome to another episode of Mama Earth Talk. I'm your host, Maris Canal. Realizing just how much waste we generate on a daily basis, I've set a personal goal not only to reduce, reuse, and recycle, but to also educate the world about sustainability and how each of us can help preserve our beautiful planet. Thanks for listening. Let's dig in. Hey, crazy birds. I hope you guys are all doing well. I'm really excited about today's episode because this guy has got quite a journey and he's also going to take on a massive challenge, which we'll be talking about. So our guest, is a transformational coach. He's helping game changers who wants to make the world a better place to look beyond their current horizons to multiply their impact. He's also the founder of Startup for Oceans. Now, during this episode, we talked about Leonardo's upcoming journey for a solo trip around the world for ocean sustainability. He also provides us with some really great tips that anyone wanting to start an eco-venture can take on and use and hopefully improve. So crazy birds, without any further ado, I would like to welcome Leonardo Zangrando. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you. Thank you, Mariska. Thank you for inviting me. You are most welcome. Such a lovely name. We spoke about it just uh, before we started, like Leonardo, like Leonardo DiCaprio. And just like him, (laughs) you are also quite the sustainable guy. Can you tell us how your sustainable journey actually started? I will kind of give out my age because it started in the late 20th century. And actually, I remember one day I was I was sitting on the beach with a fr- friends and we were in, in spring and we were looking at how the flowers were blossoming, the trees were blossoming, and there were things going bad with the weather. The weather was late, it was cold, it was May, but it was cold like winter. We were saying, oh, damn, the weather is changing. It looks like it's going to change more and more. But at that time, it was kind of, yeah, what's that? But in reality, I kind of saw it coming for the last 35 years. And actually, then I realized that there are other people who saw it coming even earlier, since when I was born, that says, we are destroying our planet. But no no one listened to them. Oh, well, they seem like they're still not listening. So we need to make loud and noise, it seems. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah, 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 yeah. But but now I think it's there is more evidence uh, that uh, really something is going on, even for the more like stubborn. Yeah, and I definitely think you know, with like younger people stepping up and you know demanding change, that has like had such a ripple effect because now people are kind of voting with their money and only supporting businesses that you know is actually doing better for the environment than others so yeah hopefully uh change will happen sooner but yeah there's definitely been been a few really amazing projects and things that's been happening absolutely absolutely better late than never exactly (laughs) so yeah yeah we are doing it and we are doing it and i love it i love it that's amazing and i mean you have got quite the passion for sailing 
So before we go into your really awesome project that uh, you're going to embark on, I actually wanted to like check with you, how did that passion for sailing actually start? Well, I can say that I've been sailing, diving, swimming since before I can remember. And I think the reason is because, well, I come from a city on the sea that is Trieste in Italy. My family, my father, grandfather, and back for four generations, they have been sailing, well, sailing as in uh, seafarers for four generations. So I have four generations of seafarers coming. And so connection with the ocean, connection with the sea. And then I also decided to take a degree in naval architecture, which is basically the people who design ships. So connection since when I can really can remember even earlier than that. Oh, that's so cool. Well, I've, I studied interior design, so I do more like the interior side, or well, I used to before I went into my art uh, full time. But yeah, when it comes to like yacht designs and things, like I spent quite a few years in the Middle East. Those people quite know how to design a very elaborate yacht, I might say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can design elaborate and luxurious yachts or mansions, which actually, from the sustainability perspective, might, how do you say, raise some eyebrows. But a naval architect designs any kind of ship, all the ships that you see in, in the ocean, that, that also are kind of culprits of emissions. Uh, but then there is a, a lot of things to say about that, because there are ships in the ocean carrying goods, because we, as a consumeristic society, ask for the goods. And so actually it's it's on us event at, at the end of the day deciding I really want to consume more and more because this means there is more sea transportation. And then we can blame them, but actually it's us who are consuming more and more. It's nice to have a, a well-balanced view or worldview and realizing that we can't just take from the planet, from the ocean, but we also have to kind of give up something. Yeah. And I mean, that that kind of just brings it, you know, closer for people to not to buy stuff that has to be sent from halfway around the world, rather have a look what is locally and, you know, maybe support some some local people. I mean, we can we can make a difference. Actually, on this, before we go ahead, there is also another thing that we can do and I do consistently, which it feels odd in the society that we live because in, in our society, you have always to buy new and you have the new stuff. And, and so most of my clothes come from charity shops, not because I, because I cannot afford to buy a nice shirt, but really it, there, there's no point that this shirt has probably has never been used or maybe used once and uh, thrown away because I don't like the design. I buy another one. Actually, I do like the design. The most Beautiful designs that I found were in charity shops rather than in regular shops. And you really create value for the environment by reducing consumption. This is a way of reducing consumption. And on top of that, you spend that money and that money goes on charitable causes, which is also another plus. So we really can rethink the way we do things from the very basic, simple things. So buy local reuse things, give a new lease of life to things. And so, and we will talk about this later, I guess. Uh, <laughs> I just love that because here we, we, we are currently in Perth, we've got, call it like wardrobe refresh. 
So what that basically is, like everyone in the council kind of brings all their clothes that they don't want to wear anymore, no longer fits or anything. And then you kind of put it or you hang it on these different hangers. And then, you know, you can bring as many as you want. You can take as many as you want. And yeah, that way, you know, you're kind of swapping and it, it just makes such a difference. Exactly. Yeah, totally. And you feel you're making an impact. Exactly. Exactly. So, Leonardo, you are obviously into sustainability, very passionate about it, very passionate about sailing. And you've kind of combined the two now together to plan a very ambitious, I might say, trip around the world for ocean sustainability. Can you tell us more about this trip? Yeah. So I started with the premise. I am an impact coach and I work with change makers and successful leaders pursuing significant social impact. And I help them look beyond their current horizon into a notion of opportunities for meaning, impact, and legacy. And this is what really people look for in their lives, meaning, impact, and legacy. But then, as a coach, I ask also myself the same question. I kind of ventured beyond my horizon to find my own way to make an impact. And so this inner exploration led me to realize and and want to focus on my deep love for the ocean, kind of intense sustainability ethos as probably we already discussed, and profound love for humanity. And so I decided to realize my old impossible dream to sail solo around the world with this expedition, One and Ocean, which is the cornerstone of my mission to inspire 100 million people to take individual and collective action for the ocean by reaching to their hearts and reawaken humanity's connection with the ocean and the planet. So... This is how it started. I kind of woke up and I said, yes, we have collectively to take action because we we need to realize that we can take action. We tend to think we, like we humanity people, tend to think, oh, this is such a big problem. It's too big for me. I can't do anything. It's for the governments. It's for the big companies, big corporations. It's all the oil companies. Agree. It's that they are very much to blame. But it's like saying, oh, I can't do anything, which is not true. We can take action. I want to show that we can take action. We can multiply our, our, our action. And we eventually can and should realize that we are one with the planet. So this is why I say we awaken humanity's connection with the ocean and with the planet because we are one with everything. That's amazing. I love that, you know, you obviously have set quite a goal for yourself, like 100 million people. That's a lot. But again, you know, it, it literally everyone always say like, oh, I'm waiting for somebody to do something. But then, you know, when you look in the mirror, you actually see that you are somebody. So, you know, every every single person can actually do something. Can you tell us more about this, like, trip, what, what you are planning to do? First of all, I'm going to sail with a sustainable boat. And you're designing that as well? No, that's an interesting question. I could design it. I mean, I have been in yacht design, but... In the industry, they say the most sustainable boat is an existing boat, which goes to the same tune as buy used clothes, you know, reuse things rather than buy or build new. Because building a new boat in one way or another has an impact on sustainability, on carbon. But an existing boat, of course, it had its impact, but it's there 
and it's waiting to be used rather than scrapped. And so I'm going to use a, a boat from the 70s, particularly it's, it's, uh, it's called a Contessa 32. So it's 32 feet. It's a British design and, and built. And it's a very sturdy boat that uh, went around the world already. Not that one in particular. Actually, they built 700 in 50 years. And so I'm going to use one of these boats. I love the, the type of boat. It's, it's kind of a classic nowadays. It's, it's plastic. It's not wood. It would be too much, uh, actually, for me, using a wooden boat because it requires a lot of more care. Uh, you need to really take care for the wood so that it doesn't rot and so on. So anyway, a boat from the 70s, because the most sustainable boat is a used boat. And I'm going to refit it or her with sustainable materials. More interestingly, I guess, I'm going to bring on board scientific research for the ocean and innovation for the ocean. So there are going to be startup well, innovations from startups that do things for the ocean. And also I'm going to, actually I'm starting a collaboration uh, and we are getting to an agreement with the Global Ocean Observation Network, GOOS, which is a UNESCO entity which coordinates the collection of data or data sampling from all over the world. They have a network of buoys and floats, they call them, like floating objects that are connected by a satellite and that uh, get all type of information about the ocean, salinity, temperature, concentration of other minerals, and also currents, uh, speed of currents. Actually, the buoys are so clever that they dive to 1,000 meters and down even to 6,000 meters, depending on the buoy, to get also a vertical scan of the state of the ocean. And it's interesting because they, they deployed a network of over 2,000 buoys that cover all the oceans. So they have a picture in real time of how the ocean is moving, evolving, changing, that is super interesting. And that is open source. So this data is available for everybody, scientists, of course, but also citizens, if we want to do something with it. And it's very, very useful to keep an eye on how the ocean is changing. So this is really, really interesting. And I'm going to be part of this project. And this is just one. Then there are other things that I'm discussing. I would like to collect samples of whale songs, not because I want to make a compilation of songs, but because this is a way to understand how whales, particularly the big whales, humpback whales, will navigate or swim in the oceans and which areas they take. And there are different groups of whales that sing different songs, like different dialects or different languages, if you want. And so it, it's, it's very interesting and useful to, to kind of understand how they, they, are, they are moving across the oceans. So this is really, for me, like... I don't say it loud, but I dream of being able to communicate with marine mammals. Oh, wow. That's amazing. And I that must be so fascinating because we had a previous guest on the podcast, Joshua. So he's actually compiled like this whole Sounds of the Ocean where he worked together with the Monterey Aquarium. <laughs> So they kind of, you know, have like sounds plus visuals and things for it. It's, it's so fascinating. And I absolutely, you know, love whales. Obviously, I've made quite a few <laughs> whales with like plastic straws and things as well. So, yeah, it's really, really amazing that you're going to do that. And 
You know, when, when you look at capturing this data, I had uh, Dr. Sylvia Earle on the podcast a while back, and we kind of talked about her book that she released last year. And in that, it was fascinating to know that, you know, we almost have every little inch of earth, like, you know, well, the land covered, and we know with Google Maps, but we don't have that for the ocean. So people literally don't know where or how deep the ocean is, or actually what is in the ocean, because we're constantly discovering new things. So yeah, I think that should be so fascinating for you to kind of, you know, contribute to that data as well. Absolutely. Actually, on, on that, I have kind of mixed feelings, and I tell you why. It's true we don't know how the bottom of the ocean is in, in detail. I understand the scientific interest to do it and to explore it. What I'm very, very wary of is that there are economical interests on knowing how the deep of the ocean is so that we, they, can start digging, can start doing things and can start really being aggressive to a place that has been left alone forever. So from the scientific standpoint, absolutely. Knowing every single millimeter of the ground, of the floor, yes, it is super valuable. We need to make sure that this information is not then used for purposes that eventually would be of destruction and extraction as it has been on land. And, and we are so used to grabbing things from, from the planet where we should be much more conscious or conscientious of having a relationship with the planet, not a domination of the planet. You know, eventually I, I, I turn the nice thing into a negative thing, but I, we need to be aware of the risks that like, humanity's bad to say, but greed can pose to, to the environment. So we have to really juggle with that so that we discover new things and we, we can really love the planet without giving some like bad intentioned people the tools to create damage. I mean, it is like a double-edged sword. In a way, it's good. In a, in a way, it can be bad as well. But I definitely think if we as a collective do everything we can to protect it, and the more people realize that, you know, literally every second breath that you take is because of a healthy ocean, then it just makes sense to protect it. And, you know, I would love seeing some of these super, super wealthy people uh, count their money while holding their breath for like 10 minutes. <laughs> You know, see whether they still need some <laughs> oxygen. <laughs> How far can you count without breathing? Then you can keep that money, no more. Exactly. <laughs> Otherwise, you need to pay for, for the clean oxygen or just like leave the money on the table so everyone can at least have that. So this trip that you're going to take, is it going to be a solo journey or do you have a whole crew joining you? No, 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 no. So it's a solo journey and it's by my personal decision. I love sailing solo. But there are other people like me who like the same, like sailing solo, and actually have the same ambition to sail around the world. Actually, this ambition kind of started like 50 years ago, 50, 50 something, 52, 53 years ago, when a few very courageous sailors asked themselves, is it possible 
to sail solo nonstop around the world. And they, they just wanted to do it as like a personal challenge. But then a newspaper here in Britain and learned about it and created a competition around it. So it was, it was called the Golden Globe. And so it actually it went from a thing that you and I say, oh, let's do this, uh, whatever, Australia to Tasmania, kayak, whatever. And then a, a, a newspaper goes, oh, and this is going to be a competition. And there is money to win. And then people come in and they, they just participate just for the money. Disasters happen. And, and actually, one of the persons who not organized it, but who were discussing about doing it, was Bernard Moitessier, a, French, a Frenchman, a French sailor. And he, he loved the ocean. Uh, his books are about sailing and loving the ocean, literally being one with the ocean. So he said, but I will have to do the race because I want to do it. But eventually, before getting to the final destination, so getting back to Britain, after he, he doubled Cape Horn, uh, instead of going north through the Atlantic to, to, Brit- well, to f- Britain, where, where the final destination was, he decided, no, I, I really can't do it. I don't want to race. I don't want to do this for money. And he just said, I'll keep sailing. And he, he kept sailing eastwards, again, south of, uh, of Africa, south of Australia, south of Perth, uh, Cape Lewin. And then he ended up in Tahiti, where he kind of retired. For me, it's a very inspiring story of love for the ocean and uh, kind of the, this regard for money and fame. Uh, he, didn't, he, he, wanted, he loved the ocean. I love the ocean. I don't do it for money. I can't do it for money. And that, that, that is really, really, really interesting. So there are people with this ethos and mindset. And so now in these days, I'm discussing with some of them if in some way we can join forces, like do what poor Bernard Matessier <laughs> could do 50 years ago. <laughs> Hopefully there won't be any newspaper catching up, <laughs> catching us and say, yeah, oh, you know, but it wouldn't be, it would be interesting. For, but, but now there is plenty of races sailing around the world, solo, non-solo, but it's all races. I don't want to, honestly, I don't want to race, even because I would end up last <laughs> because I, <laughs> but really the, the ethos and the reason to do it is different for me, is being there with the ocean, being there hopefully with the dolphins, with the whales, with the birds, with nature, and being overwhelmed by nature, because it, it, it can be overwhelming, it will be overwhelming, but that's, that's the dream. Yeah. Okay, so you've got the dream, but like trying to get this 100 million people to create, do something. What do you hope to achieve then by doing this trip? After the trip, are you going to like do something probably like have on Spotify your whale compilation? <laughs> What's happening? Why not? Even there, I would be kind of, I would think it twice because making money out of the whales singing, I think I should need to ask their permission. Well, on Spotify, you're not going to make a lot of money, so... (laughs) (laughs) You need need like billions and billions of downloads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you're right, you're right, you're right. The thing is, the trip or the expedition is the kind of the excuse that it's very important to do it, 
but it's also the excuse for an outreach campaign where I'm going to create four events, four yearly events from uh, 2022 to 2025 on ocean sustainability, kind of TED-style events. And actually, I know I can do it because last year I organized a TEDx in Cowes, south of England, on ocean sustainability, where I asked the speakers to tell their story about the ocean. It was about ocean sustainability, but also to offer suggestions about what the audience, the people, can do for ocean sustainability. So it was not just ideas worth spreading, which is the, the, the motto of, of TED, but I, I added actions worth taking because really people have to be need to be inspired to take action, not just inspired to think, oh my God, what we are doing to the ocean, which is true. We need people to realize that, but then also, oh my God, what can I do for the ocean? Take action. And when you take action, your mindset changes because you feel empowered. So I asked the speakers to give a message, an actionable message. I'm super proud that I produced this event with zero budget. We had also <laughs> a, a quite, quite some troubles in, in the audiovisual production. But anyway, we managed to upload five videos on the TEDx channel on YouTube, which after six months got over 200,000 views, which is not 100 million. <laughs> it's a start. It's a lot more than some of my videos get. <laughs> well, none of these were my videos, but I feel that I managed to multiply my impact 200,000 fold with 200,000 people who heard a message of action for the ocean. So now when, when I see, uh, when I saw that we got to those results in six months with zero budget, I say, what can I do more? So the original objective was 1 million people. Now I didn't get 1 million people, but 200,000 is getting there. And this is why I multiply a hundredfold and say, now I want to reach 100 million people. So it's not only with TEDx, because I would need like 200 TEDx, <laughs> but TEDx, big events with like the resonance of, of a TED event and a Netflix documentary. I want to create a documentary that goes on Netflix and that will really be seen by millions of people. And also the documentary with actionable messages, which is something that I feel lack sometimes in documentaries, but it's it's not, I mean, I'm not blaming documentary producers because a documentary is made to document, tell what's going on. But I want to tell also what is going on in terms of people taking action. I feel it can be a lot like, you know, doom and gloom. And like, after you've watched this documentary, you're like, Oh my gosh, okay, let me just eat a tub of ice cream because there's nothing I can do. I feel so depressed right now. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's too big for me. I'm so depressed. I mean, kudos to the producers of those documentaries because without them, we wouldn't even know of these issues and problems. But I want to add one crucial element, which is action. You can take action. You are powerful. And not only you can take one action, you can multiply your action. You can find creative ways of multiplying your action. 
and I could say, just look at me. I multiply my uh, my impact by 200,000, which is, I mean, I'm happy. I'm not, I'm not going, oh, look at me, how good I am. It's not the point. It's like you can, even, even Leonardo can do it. So of course you can do it. <laughs> Everybody can, like you, Mariska, you are, you are multiplying your impact. All the, the listeners you have, the great people you have here on, on, on stage, we can multiply our impact. And this is great. We can take action. We can multiply the impact. I tell this and I invite 100 million people to do this. We are on. Things are changing. And it's another, not a pebble, uh, not a grain of sand, not a pebble. It's probably a nice like boulder or like stone that we add to the positive action with you and with all other sustainability advocates that are there because it's many of us. It's really just about getting that conversation started as well, you know, because a lot of people might walk away from this like documentary or what you're doing and think, oh, okay, this is fine. And, you know, don't think twice about it after. But at some point in their life, they might get that aha moment and they're like, oh, that's actually what he was talking about. Or, you know, you get other people that immediately after already start implementing changes and things. So it's definitely see what it is. But yeah, that's that's really amazing. And how can our like crazy birds actually support you on this like mission? What can they do? Yeah. Well, thank you for asking. The expedition has a website, which is called One and Ocean, altogether, oneandocean.com. And there you can register to kind of follow what is going on and join the, the mailing list. And that's the minimum that, that you can do. You can also donate. There is a crowdfunding campaign that we didn't launch officially yet, but it is already there. You can click and you go to a, to a web, website where, where you can donate. It's either donate just a few pounds or dollars or whatever, or something that I, I wanted to do is donate my time as a coach. So some perks are about coaching and particularly being coached by me on your issues, nothing not necessarily related to the ocean or sustainability. So it's coaching, you pay for it, but that money goes into the project. It doesn't go into my like profits. And you find all the all of this on the on the crowdfunding website. And then of course, follow on Instagram, Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, also on Facebook. Uh, <laughs> I don't, I'm not Well, we're definitely going to I'll link that all up there for our crazy birds so that they can easily find that. So you've mentioned, I mean, some of the perks. Uh, not, uh, maybe a lot of our crazy birds are not really aware, but you are a transformational coach and you have provided training and like coaching for innovators and startups. So for our crazy birds that might have like an idea in their back pocket and thinking, oh, you know, I need to get this out of the world. What advice can you can you give us, whether they are, it is a new company or an eco-ventured company or anything? Can you give them a tip or two? Two tips. One, from the coaching perspective, I help, uh, as I said, leaders, change makers and innovators work on their mission. And I help them improve performance and effectiveness and reduce stress. This is essential to be able to really perform. And we need to perform. We and, and, and startups, entrepreneurs, innovators need to perform. There is one thing that I suggest to do, and there is more content on my uh, YouTube channel. Uh, so it's one, you want to spot the internal saboteurs 
that are hijacking your mind. It's all your fears, basically. Every time you feel negative about something, there is a fear that is talking. You have to be able to spot it and say, aha, there is something going on. There is a fear that is telling me that I shouldn't do it or whatever, that I'm afraid and da, da, da. I spot it. Then I take control. Number two, I take control of my choice to redirect my mind. We tend to forget that we are not our thoughts. Our thoughts happen in our mind. And we can positive can have positive thoughts or negative thoughts. Negative thoughts are always driven by fear. Positive thoughts, creative thoughts, wise thoughts are driven by love, typically, even if you don't recognize, but something that you like. So take control of your choice to redirect your mind and redirect your mind to your inner wisdom, which is the, the love part, the part that is not driven by fear. Said in one minute or two, as I did, it's a bit mm, up in the clouds, but... Uh, there are techniques to do this, uh, and, and I teach these techniques because they really make you much more effective. Then one specific advice, particularly if, if you said for people who have an idea and they want to develop it. Now, anytime you want to develop innovative products or services, you must validate the market appeal of your product before developing even a prototype or an MVP, you know, the minimum viable product. Everybody launches themselves in, I create a minimum viable product and then I see how the market reacts. Well, you can do this even before creating an MVP, much earlier. Actually, this used to be my business before I went into sustainability. I was, I was coaching startups on, on this, coaching and, and, and organizations on, on this stuff. One example. Maybe you like him or not, Elon Musk and Tesla, the first electric car, okay? The first electric car back in 2005, I guess, was the, the um, Roadster. To test whether the market would want that car, he posted an ad to pre-book a car like that before having built any car. There was no car and people would pay. Well, he was working big and the car was worth $100,000. So he, you, you would pay 5K, five grand to be in the, in the list to get the car as soon as it would be ready. So how many people did pay? If, if it was zero, no one is interested. If it's one, two, he got a lot of requests, a lot of money. So people were voting with their money that they wanted that. So, and this is what I mean. This is just an example, but this is what I mean. Explore market interest before you build the product, but way before. He, he, he just had a picture. Actually, it was a picture of a Lotus Elan, which is the same chassis. And he, he made then an agreement with, with Lotus to use that chassis. But the point was his cost was just a marketing cost of, of marketing that, that the thing. And, and maybe even less now. Now it's even easier to market without even spending. So check market insight before even developing a prototype. Oh, wow. Well, that's currently where I am with my little dog stroller company because I'm just like sick and tired of the stroller that we have. And yes, our dog is very spoiled. She has a stroller. Yeah, I've just been getting so many people that want to know like, oh, where, where did you get the stroller from? Like, can I buy one? And 
currently need to do a bit more research because I can't just sell the stroller for like 10 people. <laughs> because when they ask if you have a landing page where they can put just say $10, I don't know how much it would be worth if, if $10 or $100, but just a small 10% deposit. And you see how many people vote with their $10 deposit? It, because if it's few people, well, you won't do it, you will just return the money. If it's hundreds, you go, oh, wow, great. It's like a crowdfunding campaign if you want. So guys, guess what I'm doing this weekend? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for that tip, Leonardo. Okay. And Absolutely. what would you say has been one of your most important decisions that you have made around Mama Earth? So I would distinguish personal decisions and like multiplicative decisions. Personal decisions, I think that do, I, I do in my life, as I said, using buying used clothes from charities, definitely this is one. But I think the most impactful is I, I sold my car. I don't own a car. I know that I'm in a privileged position because I live in London, which, so it's easy to move around. But still, I don't use a car. When I need a car, I rent one and I try to rent a car sharing scheme. And I try to use an electric car, but most of the time, public transportation and even better, walking or biking. Of course, depending on the distance. I can't walk to the center of London. Now here I'm in zone six. So I love that. I'm exactly the same. We don't own a car as well. And like we live in Perth, which is so far from each other. So sometimes with the train, it's not the best. But yeah, there's loads of like car next door and all of these different apps where you can actually, you know, rent someone else's car that would have otherwise just stayed at home for the days. Exactly, exactly. And try to to avoid fossil fuels for propulsion. So try, I try to use electric vehicles as far as I can. So this is the personal. And as a multiplicative decision, definitely producing TEDx. Because I, I as I said, I got an impact of, of on over 200,000 people indirectly, but of action, inspiring them to action for ocean sustainability which is, I think, something that I couldn't have dreamt of otherwise. So definitely this one. And now on an ocean, of course. <laughs> well, if you ever need an artist for a TEDx talk, you know, of a one that's here in Perth that might be able to travel to, <laughs> to that. Okay, yeah. So yeah, definitely. Oh, might, might be able to travel or maybe not. Yes, because could do it online as well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying... Honestly, I'm trying. I, last year I had some some speakers who did not travel from New York because this guy hasn't been flying since 2015. He said, "I would come only if I can sail across the Atlantic." At that time, late October, it's not a good time to sail eastwards in the Atlantic because of how the winds go and it's actually actually dangerous. So we decided to do it remote, and we did it remote. Not a problem. So. Yeah, of course, it's be traveling is beautiful. Being able to be 5,000 miles away, 10,000 miles away, 20,000 miles away, which is the other side of the world, is great, is fantastic. But we need to think twice do I really need this? Of course, I'd love it. Of course, I'd love to go. I'd love to come to Perth. I'd love to go to Sydney. I'd love to go to Australia. And most likely, I won't go 
I won't go flying, definitely. I could go sailing. It's, it's quite, quite a journey. But, you know, we have to decide our priorities. And my prayer, pray, well, it's beautiful to, to see different places, far, far off places, but it's a bit more important to save the planet. <laughs> like even for me, it's something that, you know, I often have to, you know, negotiate, okay, is it worth going there? And, you know, being originally from South Africa and living in, in Perth now, like our whole family is spread all over the world. So it's like, you know, sometimes it's like when you travel, you kind of see family, which you haven't seen. And like, I think I haven't seen my sister in probably about five years now. So it's like things like that, that you kind of, you know, want to do like with a purpose and make sure that when you do fly, you take all the necessary steps to, you know, do carbon offsets and yeah, don't just like take a private jet, you know, just because. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it's not be totally like zero carbon because it today life zero carbon would be really hard but be conscious of any ton of co2 or kilogram of co2 that you emit be conscious that you are doing it and do something about it or nothing but be conscious be conscious so now we are going to move into our final five so what is one social media account or publication that you follow Definitely, very passionate journalist for the environment is George Monbiot on Twitter. George Monbiot, M-O-N-B-I-O-T. And he is really passionate. Cool. We'll definitely check him out. And what is your hope for Mama Earth going forward? I would say keep inspiring people to action. What advice can you give our crazy bits this week to help out Mama Earth? I keep repeating myself, get out and do things. Do things. Take action. Awesome. Sometimes we just talk <laughs> about that, but never do that. So very important <laughs> step. Talk and then do. Yes. Talk and then do. Absolutely. Yeah. And what is one sustainability fact that you like to use in a room with people not yet on a sustainable journey? <laughs> well, I, I try to remind them that we are not passengers on the planet that we are part of it right love that one and leonardo where can people actually find you okay so online on leonardo.zangrando.com so name surname.com leonardo.zangrando.com which is where they can also follow me and register for for coaching and in real life i'm in london or sailing across the ocean <laughs> awesome well we'll definitely link up that and all of your social media as well so that our crazy birds can just head on over there and check it out and yeah thank you so much for being such an amazing guest and we are really looking forward to following your journey and just like see how how it goes fantastic thank you very much thank you for having me uh, sorry for being long, but no. I hope it was uh, interesting and fun. For me, it was fantastic. Thank oh. you very much for the experience. You're most welcome. Thank you. And that's a wrap. Huge thank you for our amazing guest for being on the podcast and for sharing their journey with us. You can find the show notes of this episode on the MamaEarthTalk.com's website. 
The biggest thank you goes out to all of you crazy birds for listening to the podcast. If you have not already listened to all of the episodes, you can go back to a few of them. You will absolutely love them. I really enjoyed recording every single one of them and I really hope that you enjoy listening to them. There's over a hundred episodes, so if you feel a little bit lost on which one to listen to next, maybe select one of the episodes with guests that you might want to know more of and start from there. If you enjoy the episodes, why not tell a friend about the podcast and maybe share an episode with them. Let them know that we are here and we are waiting for them with open arms and they are all very welcome to join the crazy birds globally. If you have a question for me, please send them over. The best way to get in contact with me would probably be a DM on Instagram. You can either send it to my personal, which is at Zero Waste Mariska, or the podcast, which is at Mama Earth Talk, or send me an email at hello at mamaearthtalk.com. If there's a particular guest or topic that you would like to hear on the podcast, let me know. I love to hear from all you crazy birds. New episodes are uploaded every second Monday. So make sure to subscribe that you do not miss a thing. Mama Earth has a voice and it's us crazy birds.